I'm Laurie Cochran, one of the co-founding pastors, and it's so good to see you this morning. And here we go, right on the pink spot. Um, I'm here to introduce my new friend, Wendy Backlin. Um, I hope that uh, you have checked her out on her website, ignitinghope.com. Check the book table. They'll, we're going to get more information about that. But please um, open your heart right now. She is from the Pacific Northwest originally, now in Bethel Church in Redding, California. Uh, has been in ministry for years and years. <laughs> and um, she is... Um, just someone that is bringing heaven to earth. So open your heart to receive even more of what it means to live a victorious uh, life in Jesus. So welcome Wendy right now. Jesus. <laughs> I just um, reach your hand out as I pray for Wendy. Thank you, God, for what you have brought her to deposit here in each of our lives, in the church, in this community, in this region. So we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. I feel really at home here. Kind of like it's the same spirit. We have the same father or something like that. It's awesome. Um, Ash Lumley is my personal assistant, and I asked her just to share a little bit about Igniting Hope, because we don't like to just have a good meeting. We like to actually deposit things and leave things here and give resources so that we can continue the process of renewing our mind, finding hope. Um, how many of you know it's not good enough just to hear it once? Yeah. When I got, first got introduced to Bill Johnson, I literally, this was back on cassette tapes, <laughs> ages me a little bit, but I would listen to the same mesh message like five times a day because I wasn't just trying to get head knowledge, I was trying to get it deep within who I was. And so that's why we, we've written books, we have other um, resources, so Ash. Hi guys, so glad you're here. Um, so where you can find most of the things I'm about to talk about is on our website at ignitinghope.com. So there, there you will find the itinerary where Steve and Wendy travel. Steve is actually going to be in Powell, Ohio next weekend. Um, I don't know which direction that is from here. North. <laughs> He'll be up there. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, so you can find the itinerary and other events. We have a couple fun things coming up. One of them is called our Negativity Fast Positivity Feast. So that actually takes place during Lent, which is February 26th through April 9th, I think, question mark, around those dates. Um, and so if you want to join us for that, we get the craziest testimonies of people who intentionally avoid negativity for that time. And most people don't want to go back to it one time so <laughs> it actually creates a habit of a lifestyle without negativity which is so powerful all of the staff and team does it so we'd love for you to join us um, and you also get emails if you sign up for it so just encouragement and then we also have our abounding hope and joy conference it's an annual conference this will be our second year um, and that's in Redding California so if you've ever been looking for an excuse to visit Bethel or to visit Redding we would love to have you we have signups for that on our website as well um, and then I we also have a book table out there we have 
have a bunch of Steve's books. We have Wendy's books out there too. And I have this um, little set that I just wanted to talk about. So um, this is Victorious Emotions. Has anybody in here read it? Raise your hand if you have. It is a game changer. If you've read it, you will agree. <laughs> it's really so good. I'll just read this like first little part. Um, are you tired of trying hard to be happy and victorious? Are you tired of working hard at enjoying life? Then this book is for you. Victorious Emotions will help create happiness is your default emotion. And it also comes with this journal because there are questions and things at the end that wrapped up the chapter. So this, if you get them together, the journal is really helpful. Um, so does anybody have a birthday on April 9th? Or anniversary? Who has the closest birthday to April 9th? <laughs> Winters? Close, anybody closer? Back there in the yellow? April 7th. Can anybody beat April 7th? April 7th, April 7th. <laughs> April 7th, too. Okay. Let's do the girl in the yellow in the back. You're the winner. We'll probably do more. <laughs> What's your name? Awesome. There you go, Sarah. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And if you guys have any more questions about Igniting Hope or any of the details, you can feel free to chat to me. Great. Great. Thank you, Ash. <sighs> just feels so good here. Hope you guys don't take this for granted. <laughs> wow. Micah, you're amazing. Just what you carry. Wow. Now, there's something about, um, about you that I just feel like God wants you to know that he's really proud of you. Really proud of you. Yeah. I'm kind of a, a prophetic feeler, so I, w what I'm feeling over you is just a mother's heart. Just God wants to nourish you and, and see you just go even further than you thought you could go. I mean, it's just amazing. Love your spirit. Love it. Uh, I thought I'd share a, a few testimonies. I've got a couple of favorites. You know, you need to find your favorite testimonies because they can change your life. Because the more you rehearse that testimony, the more it seems plausible that it can actually happen in your life too. And um, one of my favorites, I, I, you know, a lot of people like the testimonies about healing. I like testimonies of the supernatural. Making his realm real in our realm. I mean, not that healing's not supernatural. But um, sometimes it gets overlooked. And when my husband and I first went out to Nevada to pastor in 1991, we took over a church that was 10 years old. It had two previous pastors before us, and each one was there for five years. And we got there, and a few months in, I was in a prayer meeting with some ladies, and they started talking about the first pastor's wife. And told me something I did not realize. The first pastor's wife had ended up having an affair with the local sheriff in town. And so that pastor left town. She was actually still in town, and she was currently married to the sheriff. So I could tell there were still a little bitterness, you know, just because the, the church had been founded by them, and everybody felt betrayed. And so I, 
out of my mouth, you know, I, I'm into forgiveness, but out of my mouth I said something even more than we should forgive her. I said, you know, I think we need to forgive her and release her from the consequences of her sin. And at first it was like, is that even legal? <laughs> but you know, scripture actually says that whosoever sin is forgiven will be, you know, who's, we have the power to release people. So we did, we prayed, we released her from the consequences of her sin. There was about five of us in the group. We never mentioned it to anybody. But the very next day, she called, the ex-pastor's wife called my husband. And she says, can I come to church on Sunday and ask for forgiveness? What a coincidence. <laughs> Something happened. When we released her, she felt a new freedom to be restored. And the amazing thing is, is she came, she asked for forgiveness, she ended up coming back to church. I mean, it was just a, a miracle. She stayed in the church until they finally moved out of the town. And my other favorite one, kind of on the same theme, is a pastor friend of ours was telling me that his mom was a Buddhist and very resistant to the gospel. And she was really sick and she was in the hospital. And she was so resistant to, the God, to Jesus that in her will, she actually put that at her funeral, she didn't want the name of Jesus to be mentioned. And nobody was to pray. So he's sitting in the hospital room and his mom, I can't remember if she was in a coma or just asleep or out of it, but he's sitting in there just crying out, Jesus, please don't let my mom die without knowing you. Please don't let her die without knowing you. Because it looked like, you know, death was coming. And all of a sudden, a scripture pops into his mind. And it's the scripture where, you know, when Jesus comes back, when he's resurrected and he sees the disciples and he says, your sins are forgiven you. Receive ye the Holy Spirit. And then he blew on the disciples. So that scripture comes to his mind, and for some reason he thinks that's an evangelistic scripture. So he stands up, and he puts his face over his mom, and says, Mom, your sins are forgiven you. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Blows in her face. And her eyes pop open. And she points to the back of the room and she goes, do you see him? Do you see the man in white? And he goes, mom, are you seeing Jesus? And she goes, yes, and he's beautiful. <laughs> That's his world breaking into ours. Now, if you use that as an evangelistic tool out on the streets, make sure you have good breath, you know, whatever it takes. But it's amazing when we attach faith to things. He just attached faith to a scripture. 
God must mean for me to do this. She ended up recovering too. Isn't that cool? <laughs> I love the supernatural. I love inviting his world into our world. You know, that I, I, I shared a little last night about the fact that we're actually the doorway between the two worlds. You know, I, I love that, you know, we get born again of the Spirit, but it really irritates me when we get people born again of the Spirit and then we tell them to stay out of the Spirit realm. I was like, what do I need a Spirit for? We're more Spirit than flesh. We have to redefine ourselves. We no longer should be defining ourselves as human, as more flesh. We have to practice being a new creation, knowing who we are. You know, I, I, I was praying once and I felt like God said, Wendy, most of my children are born again of the Spirit, but they're still entombed in their past. We don't want to be entombed in the past. It takes a, a decision to actually feel who you are because, you know, we worship him in spirit and in truth. And a lot of people are like, well, how do you know what is your spirit in, and What's your flesh? This is how I tell people. Remember back to your last great encounter with God. For some of us that's in a worship service or a prayer meeting, where all of a sudden you feel really big. You feel like you're above the circumstances. You feel like, bring on the demons of hell, I can take them. That's the real you. It just showed up. Because your spirit man is already perfected in Christ. And it knows its authority. It has a sense of dominion. When that sense of dominion rises up, we need to take note. And we want to live that way. But most of us, we have a really great you know, um, worship time. And we're singing the songs. And all of a sudden, we're starting to believe, yeah, we're, you know, we're victorious. And then we leave the church building and it's like our spirit man just goes and we go back into walking in the flesh. Walking in the spirit isn't just walking in good character. Good character is a result of walking in the spirit. Being more aware of the spirit than we are of the natural realm. So I want to read a scripture, Ephesians 4.21. It says, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. That scripture, it talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man and the connecting spirit is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's not about, I'm going to stop sinning, I'm going to stop being old man, I'm going to start doing this. If you miss the middle verse, you're going to end up with a lot of good works without any power. Be renewed, be transformed in the spirit of your mind. We have to believe something different. You know, I really believe you'll know whether you're really thinking according to the spirit by how it makes you feel. Um, I believe that life and energy is the fruit of good beliefs. I have a friend who when we pastored in Weaverville, California, she uh, co-led the prophetic with me. And she loved the outdoors. She was kind of, you know, a mountain woman who, who loved to hike. And we would go hiking together, and she would look at, like, deer prints or animal prints, and she would know what had been there. Oh, a fox was here, or she would leave, see the scat, you know, the leavings of an animal. She would know it was a bear. And one day we were on this walk, and I just felt like God said, You'll know what voice you're listening to by what it leaves behind. If the voice you're listening to, makes you feel drained and tired and hopeless, it's not God's voice. Because even if he is correcting you, there will be life and energy and hope attached to it because he is life. He said, my words are spirit and life. If the voice you're hearing drains you, it's not God. You know, it, Scripture says that the enemy comes as an angel of light. And so sometimes the enemy will even quote Scripture at you. But when he quotes Scripture at you, it makes you want to give up and feel condemned. It's not God quoting Scripture at you. <laughs> Hope is the hallmark of who God is. Everything he does creates energy and life. And that's the goal. You know, the, the, the spirit of condemnation drains you. And God actually began to have me take note of what's happening in my body when I'm thinking certain things. When I would think about my sin and I'd think about how awful I was, I could literally feel the life and energy being drained. But when I would think about God and his glory and what he's done, I would be energized. I used to say every morning 
or not say every morning, but I would ask the question every morning, how do you feel today? You know, and I didn't even realize it was a habit. And what I would do is I would kind of mentally rehearse what my day was going to be like. So if my day was going to be really busy, I would have the thought, oh, I'm going to be really tired today. I've got so many appointments. I'm so busy. And uh, I would be tired before I even began the day. Or I would think, oh, I've got to do this, and I hate doing that. That's so overwhelming. I'm going to be overwhelmed today. And finally, God said, Wendy, asking yourself how you feel today is the wrong question. He said, the correct question is, what do you believe today? And if you're like me, first thing in the morning, you have no clue what you're supposed to believe. So I had three by five cards by my bedside, and as soon as my eyes opened up, I'd grab those cards, and I would say out loud, oh yeah, I believe everywhere I go, revival breaks out. Oh yeah, when I walk by sick people, they accidentally get healed. Oh yeah, I prosper in everything I put my hand to do. It was amazing what happened to my body when I would say that. There's a reason why sports teams don't get in a huddle before a game and go, oh, I hope we do better than last week. <laughs> do you remember that fumble you made? <sighs> no, when they get in a huddle, I've never been in a huddle, my husband's into sports, they say positive things. We're winners. We've got this. Let's rip their heads off. <laughs> They've actually proven that what we say will affect our body. That could be why some people are always tired and sick. There was one doctor who wanted to find out the connection between speech and the body. So he hooked somebody up so that he could, you know, he had all these little wires attached to him so they could see what was going on in his muscles and what goes on in the body when he speaks. And they told him, we want you to say, I am tired. So they had all these graphs measuring it. And when he said, I am tired, on the graph, it showed his body preparing for tiredness. Do we really want to pull in more? I mean, this world's got enough stuff without us adding to it with our mouth. Just changing what we speak is Amazing. So I believe that when we begin to define ourselves correctly, we will actually begin to have more life and energy flowing through us. One of the things I discovered is that most of us are more aware of darkness than light. And we're more aware of what other people are carrying than what we're carrying. And we allow it to influence us. For instance, I had a, um, in one of the churches I was pastoring, we had a lady who, 
she was very good at shifting atmospheres, and fortunately it was to the bad. <laughs> and if she was angry or bitter or feeling down, it was like she could ruin a meeting faster than, you know, lightning. And so we were having a women's meeting one morning, and I walked in, and there she was. It's like, really, why'd you bother coming? But because I'm a prophetic feeler, at that time, I didn't know what to do with it. And so I was like, oh, no. She's here, and she is going to ruin the meeting. So I made an excuse to leave because I thought I just, you know, I need, it was early morning. I hadn't had coffee. I'm like, I'm not prepared for her. <laughs> and I went out of the room and I heard God quote a scripture at me. And he said, Wendy, the spirit that is within you is greater than the spirit that's in the world. And I'd heard that scripture before. But when he said it, it was like, oh, you mean that literally. <laughs> I, you know, I was like, oh, so how should I allow the spirit that's within me to influence? Because we're not supposed to be influenced by them. They're supposed to be influenced by us. Because last I heard, light was more powerful than darkness. But if we're focused on what they carry, we will not be able to exude what we carry. So I went back in there with joy, and I allowed my spirit to influence the room. Why is it that we give the enemy permission to have his spirit influence the room, but ours doesn't? I had a um, meeting scheduled one time. There was a lady in a church that she, some of the stuff she was doing was beginning to influence the church. And so I was going to have to kind of confront her on some things. And, you know, I, I'm not really into confrontation, but when you become a pastor, it's like part of the job. So I'm getting ready for this meeting, and literally, I'm thinking, I wish I could get sick. Because <laughs> being sick sounded more fun than confronting this lady. And as soon as I had that thought, God said, Wendy, why are you dreading this meeting? And I'm like, well, you know what she's like. She's angry and bitter, and when I talk to her about this, she's just going to explode, and she, you know, it's just going to be a mess. And he said, well, if that's your faith for the meeting, I don't want you to go. And I knew he wasn't giving me permission to cancel. <laughs> so the question was, well, what should my faith be? And he said, well, right now you have more faith in what she carries than in what you carry. Because we tend to focus on out there instead of releasing what's in here. And he said, I want you to have faith in who I've told you you are. You are love. 
You have a mother's heart to nurture. I want you to have faith that who you are will influence this meeting, that she will feel safe and loved and nurtured. And the meeting went amazing because I had more faith in what I carried than in what she carried. In the 80s, we were taught so much about the enemy that we forgot to remind ourselves how big God is. We had um, some witches. We were on staff at a church in the 80s. We had some witches come and put a curse on our church, and they drew a big pentagram on the back of the building, and you know, all of us intercessors got together because we had great faith in this curse. <laughs> And we knew if we didn't pray, bad things would happen. And years later, God reminded me of that. And he said, Wendy, I don't have a problem with you praying to stop the curse. I just want to know why you had more faith in a witch's curse than a pastor's blessing. Because every time the pastor blessed you, you just yawned and went on with life with no expectation. And I said, well, why is that? Why do we have more faith for a curse? And he said, well, part of the reason is because we understand what a curse can do. If you're under a curse, you can do everything wrong, right and everything still goes wrong. You're finances fall apart, your relationships fall apart, your health falls apart, all these things go wrong. He said, Wendy, your problem is, is that a blessing doesn't fit your religion. If under a curse you can do everything right and everything still goes wrong, then why don't we believe that under a blessing you can do everything wrong and still be blessed? can't be. <laughs> we don't even realize where our faith is. We don't understand. We've placed faith in darkness much more than we've placed faith in light. What if we started having faith that when we walk into a room, everything changes? The atmosphere shifts. But we can't do that if we only define ourselves as a human being. Because it's not you as a human being that's going to shift the atmosphere. It's not you, I'm going to be happy. I mean, that better than nothing. <laughs> but we need to consciously release what we carry. Because I'm a spiritual feeler, I was always up and down emotionally all the time. So one of the first things when I got saved, I went after was peace. And God said, Wendy, you will not be able to find peace in the midst of chaos unless you first practice peace. Be so familiar with peace in my presence. He said, in fact, I want you to feel what it feels like to be peace. I mean, we're one with the Prince of Peace. We allow it 
to just flood our being. We picture it just as this unseen substance of his realm going through us, that, that peace isn't just an emotion, but a substance. His world has substance. You know, if I had a handkerchief and I told you that someone with a infectious disease has been coughing and sneezing into this handkerchief for three days, most of us have never actually seen a germ, but we would have great faith in this handkerchief to affect us. But if I had a handkerchief in this hand and I said, this one's been in the prayer room for the last three days... You know, when Jesus was walking through the crowd and the woman with the issue of blood thought to herself, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. And she touches the hem of his garment and Jesus stops everything and he goes, who touched me? And the disciples go, um, everybody, it's crowded. I mean, he was being jostled by the crowd. And he says, no, I felt divine virtue leave me. A substance. Divine virtue. The substance of his realm on a handkerchief. Which handkerchief do you have the most faith in to affect you? You've never seen a germ. You may never have seen divine virtue. But which one will you have the most faith for? Because faith is what empowers things. If we have more faith for germs, we'll, we'll actually empower the germ. If we have more faith in divine virtue, we will actually pull on that substance. When we begin to have faith in the substance of peace, and we become one with it. We know the more you practice peace, the more quickly you can enter into it. And then when you get side-blinded by chaos or something happening, you'll notice more quickly that your peace is gone and you can more easily grasp it. Because peace can be a force. Light can be a force. I don't think it's just symbolism when he says we're light. What if the angelic beings actually see us as light? We, I don't, probably a lot of you have actually felt darkness. When someone who's really overcome, who's demon-possessed, or a place that's been so full of darkness for so long, we can feel it. If that's true, how much more should darkness be feeling light? If the world can affect my emotions with what they're doing, how much more should their emotions be affected by what I'm doing? I used to think it was spiritual when I would walk by somebody who had a spirit of perversion and I'd, you know, I'd, oh, did you feel that spirit of perversion? Yeah, felt slimed by that. Oh, it's so dark. It's so heavy in here. My dream is to walk by an adult bookstore 
and see someone coming out, and I just walk by, and they go, whoa, did you feel that spirit of purity? What was that? We have to know who we are. We have to redefine ourselves that we are mountain movers. We are atmosphere shifters. Stop focusing on what you're not and begin to focus on what you are. I spent so much of my Christian life trying to fix something that was dead. And God said, stop trying to fix something and become something. It's all about focus. It was amazing how much of the sin and the stuff I didn't like just started disappearing when I was busy becoming who God said I was. I started believing, even without the proof, that I carry something within me. I remember in ministry thinking, you know, I am so tired and drained, God. We're so busy, you know, because in the ministry, it's kind of like you're, you feel like you're on call 24-7. And I was so drained and complaining to God. And God said, you know, Wendy, you're not drained because you're busy. And I'm like, I'm not. He goes, no, you're drained because of what you believe while you do what you do. The tiredness and the draining comes from all the self-doubt, the rethinking of shouldn't I have done this or I shouldn't have done that. That's what drains us. Don't withdraw your faith. Even if you did it all wrong, just believe God can make it all right. It doesn't mean we do it wrong on purpose, but we have so much faith in God. I used to think, you know, I, I would be counseling two people and I could see one person would say something and by the time this person heard it, they heard something different. And so I had faith that the enemy could twist what people were saying. And I, I love opposites. So once I realized that was one of my beliefs, I decided to believe that I could say it wrong and God could twist it and make it right. It took all the pressure off. And you're able to flow more when you're at peace. Peace empowers what you're doing. Faith brings that peace. But we have to renew our mind. This is who I am. This is how I define myself. Don't just wait and hope it's going to happen. You know, you don't make a pathway in the forest by walking through it once. <sighs> and your brain is a forest. If you want to get out of the maze of where you are, you're going to have to build a new pathway. Over and over. This is who I am. This is what I am. That's why one of the things about worship is declaring that sometimes the only way you can get people to say what's true. Over and over. 
I mean, what do you have to lose? <laughs> Begin to declare something different over yourself, even if it doesn't feel true. Stop beating yourself up. You know, if condemnation could transform you, Jesus didn't need to die. Stop using guilt and condemnation for transformation. There's a saying, if the horse is dead, get off. <laughs> if what you've been doing hasn't transformed you in the last 10 years, try something new. Begin to declare, begin to see yourself as God sees you. Stop looking at your past to determine your future. Stop looking at your past to define yourself. That's where the hope comes in. So Father, I thank you so much for transformation. Thank you that we put off the old man by renewing our mind with something new. We are dead to sin. We no longer live. We have been crucified with Christ and we put on the new resurrected man in Jesus' name. We renew our mind with resurrection power that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. People accidentally get raised from the dead when I walk by because what I carry is so powerful. It changes nations. It changes the atmosphere. Father, I thank you for revelation in this church, where you're taking them, that they are going to shift the atmosphere. They're going to know who they are to even a greater height and depth, that kings will come to their rising and want to know, what are you doing? And I just bless this place in Jesus' name. Amen.